Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. While the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a huge sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you are looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we've come from Cornelius, the centurion, He's a righteous man and God-fearing who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The (coughs) The next day Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, <coughs> the following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them 
and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour. (coughs) At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest at the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptised with water. They have received the Holy Spirit as we have, So he ordered that they be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. 
Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Well, good morning, everyone. If we haven't met uh, last week, my name's Matt, and it's great to be with you today. And just before I get going, uh, I just had a little flashback um, earlier in the service, and I wanted to encourage you, when John got up and shared before about uh, just taking the youth out after the service um, and working through a couple of questions, I thought... Oh, probably 13, 14 years ago, I was asked to do the same thing when I was working a day a week uh, for a church and took a handful uh, of youth out and did the exact same thing after the service. And God was really kind. I was at Trinity Church Modbury back then. He's grown uh, that youth group. And similarly, at Kern Lake Gardens, uh, we started uh, 10 years ago. We had just two youth with us uh, when we kicked off and we worked really hard at investing in and loving them. And in God's great kindness over those 10 years as those youth have come out uh, and started serving in youth and things like that, uh, the youth that started as two in our church at Kern Lake Gardens is now about 50 meeting uh, regularly on a week. So I just wanted to pass that on because sometimes just doing something really well, faithfully in a small way and keeping on going uh, doing it uh, is uh, you know something really used by God. So I just wanted to encourage uh, John, but I know all the people who are supporting uh, John and his ministry there. And you know I don't know all the youth here. I know Adele because she's sitting with my daughter uh, this morning. It's a really great thing to encourage and invest in uh, our youth in that way and to pray for them and uh, to see what God does uh, through that. Well, as I mentioned last week, I was keen to support uh, Colin and your church uh, this year, so I offered to do uh, a few weeks preaching. I had uh, three weeks uh, free in my calendar, and so Colin asked me all the different sermon series I was uh, preparing this year, and he chose uh, my mission uh, series. And it's a topical um, uh, sermon, so we're not going to work through all of that uh, story, uh, chapter and verse. I've, we've, I've set that uh, passage out because I'm going to plunder it uh, for a few uh, particular reasons. Uh, but as we think about mission, uh, big picture as Christians, uh, we know that God is, is at work in the world with a great plan of salvation and he wants all of us here who are followers of him to join him. We're actually invited by God to participate in the greatest, most diverse, most significant cause in history the building of his kingdom. So as we kicked off the series last week, we did so by considering the spiritual need of our city. And I know you all uh, weren't there, so we sort of, you know, of course God is concerned about uh, rural South Australia, uh, the rest of Australia and the world. They're all part of his salvation plans. But we focused on our city to grasp something of the scale of our task as we arrived at the 1.2 million people um, who don't know Jesus. And we saw from God's word last week that because of this great need, we're called to be a people praying to God for our gifted by God evangelists, praying that more uh, with the gift of evangelism might be raised up by God among us and for the doors to be opened to break new gospel ground in our city. Uh, in unison with what the Apostle Paul showed us, that all Christians are to make the most of every opportunity to speak uh, to people about God. 
who see us, people who ask questions, who know we're Christians, who see us living passionate and well-integrated Christian lives. So that in response to Jesus' call to go and make disciples, uh, as people bowled over by God's grace and mercy shown firstly to us, we as a church family are motivated and equipped together to share the gospel so that we're seeing people saved as they respond to Jesus by the work of God's Spirit in repentance and faith. So that's kind of the big picture, of course, as we come to mission. That hasn't changed since Jesus first ascended to heaven and sent God's Spirit for the task. Yet when I was looking at the preaching program this year for the church I serve at, I wanted to do this series because I have noticed a change in our world and among Christians lately. There's some wonderful exceptions, of course, but on the whole, I don't think as a pastor I've seen Christians more withdrawn and on the back foot when it comes to sharing the gospel than they are at present. Now, there's a lot going on in our world. Christian uh, views uh, now have kind of moved from a space where we were kind of politely ignored Uh, And, you know, people might have thought of Christian worldview as false, but in the last 10 years or so, they've now come to the point where they're considered as dangerous, particularly when it comes around issues of sexuality. Now, I don't think we need to be obsessed by that, but it's fair to say society in large is talking a lot about issues of sexuality. So no longer is the Christian worldview worthy of considering by most, but rather now the public mood is that Christians need to be silenced and Bible-believing Christians exiled from our world so that it can move forward with a different agenda. Uh, One of the books I recommended, and I chatted to someone over morning tea who started reading it already, which is great, uh, I put it in uh, the back of the Bible reading guides, uh, was one called Being the Bad Guys. It's the big red book uh, in the middle, and there's a few copies of that if you missed it last week. And I saw on screen you can download it. Um, the booklet as well but the book I recommended was one called Being the Bad Guys How to Live for Jesus in a World that Says You Shouldn't uh, by a guy called Steve McAlpine. Now I read on the back cover this week that John Anderson our former deputy PM uh, said of this book at last a neat and accessible explanation of what is happening in our culture. Now, depending on the circles uh, that you move, the workplace, the school, the other things you're involved with, you might be more or less uh, aware of that. But it's a great book uh, to read to get your head around uh, what's happening in culture at the moment and why increasingly so Christians are being seen as the bad guys by many. So how do we share the gospel with those in our world who think of themselves as the good guys and us as the bad guys. I reckon I'm seeing this play out in lots of different ways in the church uh, that I'm a part of. So for example, I've had many a conversation with older Christians lately who've been to a funeral of a friend and I've asked, was your friend a Christian? They'd say, "Uh, no, but he was a really moral guy. I said, did you ever have the chance to share the gospel with him? They'd say, well, I tried a few times, but I didn't want to push too hard. He hated religion. But he was such a great bloke, a really community-hearted fellow. Now you notice they're not quite saying it there because it doesn't really align with the gospel that we have. But there's a discomfort, shall we say, on connecting the dots with the reality of heaven and hell and everyone's need for Jesus and the person that they know and love who doesn't follow him. 
So for me, the other week, I was helping out one of the old one of the older guys around the RSL where our church meets. He's a great bloke. Uh, he gently ribs me regularly about being a sky pilot, which is an ex-serviceman joke about army chaplains. But out of the blue, he said to me as we were saying goodbye, he said, "You know, Matt, me and the big man are on good terms. We understand each other. I just don't need to come along to church each week to prove it to other people. Am I right?" Now, I'm not the kind of shove-it-down-your-throat kind of evangelist, but he was asking me to affirm something that is not right. I was caught off guard. My brain didn't move fast enough, and all I could say was, oh, uh, that's not how it works. (laughs) So he said, okay, I've got to run. We'll have a beer sometime and chat some more. And welcome to my life, a running history of me thinking of good things to say 30 seconds after the conversation is finished. But I've decided what I will lead with when we catch up over a beer. I'll say something along the lines with, no one gets to decide that they're right with God on their terms. We only get to be right with God on his terms. And for that, you need Jesus. And we'll see where we go from there. I give those stories as examples because I think it is one of the biggest challenges I'm seeing amongst Christians at the moment. As we, as a church, seek to present and share the gospel with people, uh, to people now sort of uh, deemed, like this guy, I think, like I really admire him, he's a person I really love. Society sees him as the good guy, and often Christians, and I guess I feel it more as a pastor, with the different things that come my way, as one of the new bad guys. So I chose Acts 10 today to unpack as the Apostle Peter shares the gospel with one of the biggest good guys in the Bible, Cornelius. Because to be faithful messengers of the gospel, we need to know, A, who the message is for, and B, what the message is. It's not a complicated big point uh, today. And I want to keep asking myself and challenging you as a local church of God's people, do we really believe what we believe? That for every person on the planet... Even those that we live among, that we really admire and look up to in our workplace or on our street, that heaven and hell, salvation or judgment, hang in the balance for each of those people that we know and love based on their willingness to come to God on his terms through his appointed saviour, Jesus. Now, it's easy to nod along to that at church on a Sunday. It's easy for me to say in such pleasant surrounds. Much harder to really believe it and act upon it face to face with someone that you love at the footy club or at school. Or whether you're with fam- at a family gathering with the kids or the grandkids. If you're here today checking out who Jesus is for the first time or thinking through church and Jesus for the first time in a long time, welcome. I hope today is one of those days where you walk out thinking, oh, I get what Christians think is at stake here. I appreciate the directness of someone cutting to the chase about Jesus and that you realise that it's something worthy of careful investigation. It's a lovely community uh, here that I'm not regularly a part of that would love to help you do that. But for now, let's get into the reading. We're going to move through it quite fast because it was uh, a big reading. Uh, Just to see how it challenges us on who the gospel message is for and what the content of the gospel is. So if you've got your Bibles there, great to keep it open. Otherwise, you can just listen along. 
As we come up to chapter 10 in Acts, we begin a new story as our camera kind of zooms in from that Google Earth view down to a town of Caesarea to a Roman centurion, Cornelius, who in verses 1 to 2, we read that like most centurions that we see in the Bible, has a steady mind and seems to be a good man to have about. He's Italian, yet referred to as a God-fearer, which means in the day someone drawn to Judaism and the one true God. He's described as devout, along with his whole household. He gives generously to others, and we read has a pretty vibrant prayer life. And he receives a vision of an angel from God and responds immediately, doing as instructed, sending a couple of his servants and a devout soldier to Joppa to look for Peter. Now, while they're making the 60k journey, and they do it in a day, that's kind of, uh, you know, 12 hours of walking at 5k's an hour, a fairly brisk walk. During this time, God gives Peter a vision, strange to us at first, about what kind of animals are okay for him to kill and eat, which offended his Jewish beliefs about what was okay for him to eat according to Jewish law. And to add to Peter's catalogue of inappropriate responses to Jesus, he says, surely not, Lord. But the voice said, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. And it happens three times, I take it, because as we regularly read, Peter, like me, is often a little slow. And as he's pondering all this, the travellers arrive and Peter is told by the Spirit to go with them. And a day later, he comes to Cornelius' house. Peter gets the whole story that the same spirit who had spoken to him had also given Cornelius a vision to send for Peter. This clearly was a spirit-given moment. And Cornelius has gathered his whole household and even his close friends to hear what this spirit-given messenger is about to say. Now, in the context of the book of Acts, if we were kind of preaching through this, mining it for everything, we would note that this is God through his divine director of evangelism, the Holy Spirit, breaking new ground for the gospel, shattering Peter's prejudices and challenging the early church as God makes clear to his little bit slow disciples that his message of salvation and free gift of forgiveness is for all people everywhere. And it's kind of a side question. I wanted to ask, and I was challenged as I thought through this, do we still believe the same Spirit of God is directing the advance of the gospel today around his world, around our city, around the globe? I had the great privilege of spending a few days with a Christian who serves in the Middle East uh, in recent weeks, and he told me of his church, which has grown from 100 people 15 years ago, to a church of around 4,500 with over 100 nationalities present from the wealthiest in society to some of the poorest people in a region where you cannot by law what they would call proselytise, ask someone to place their trust in Jesus. People of all religions and all nations are joining them. Some from the most unlikely backgrounds who have dreams of Jesus and wanting answers find this church he said to me growing up in the church of australia i believe god could do such amazing things but i had low expectations that he would he said living where i live now seeing god at work in such powerful ways has been so good for my confidence in the power of god and for my prayer life now 
I don't know what God has in store for our city. God will do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. He's not a genie in the bottle at our call. But I mention this as a bit of an aside to say, I think we could afford to be a little more optimistic in our evangelistic prayers for our city today. That is an aside because, as I said, the main reason I chose this of the many stories in Acts is that I reckon, as I look around the church, I know much better than this one, that we struggle to connect the dots between what we believe about Jesus and real life, particularly with the good, if you're listening along online, air quotes, the good people that we know. I think, give us someone whose life is a mess, I've got so many regrets, I've hurt the people I love, how could anyone love me? I think most of us would be pretty good to go. Well, let me tell you about Jesus. I think we struggle much more to see gospel opportunities and gospel need with the good guys in our street. It's not a complicated point I'm trying to make. It's really more of a challenge to the heart. I think it's been exacerbated by this societal shift to now see us as the bad guys. As we kind of look, like looking at the people that we know and that we love and admire, do we feel the urgency of sharing the good news of Jesus both with the couple that you know who don't know Jesus who really love their kids who give so much of themselves to the school community that you're a part of as much as the other family who are tearing themselves apart through selfishness and bring nothing but pain to themselves and others do we really feel deep in our hearts that the gospel is needed just as much by the guy at the footy club who will always up for a laugh and will do anything for anyone and is first on the tongs on the barbie as much as the guy that you know who beats his wife. To be faithful messengers of the gospel, we need a heart conviction that all people everywhere both those deemed by our world to be the bad guys as well as the good guys desperately need to hear the gospel. I chose the Cornelius story to make the simple point that even the best people we know really need the message of the gospel and for God to grant them repentance and faith in Jesus by his spirit. Now Cornelius is referred to here positively as a God-fearer. It's not a popular turn of phrase today, but there's heaps more kind of God-fearer Cornelius types around with us still in the world today than the media would have us believe. Uh, Derek Prime, a guy I referenced in the study guides that I've given you, describes the God-fearers of today as follows. He says, God-fearers recognise that God exists and that in some way he's at the centre of the world and controls things. I was at a dinner on Friday night on Mission, which had some of the latest Australian stats on such things, and it revealed that still about 65% of our society believe either in God or a higher power than ourselves beyond our experience. Secondly, God-fearers recognise the value of living a moral life. They almost intuitively distinguish between right and wrong. At one of the RSL funerals I did recently, I was meeting with the family uh, and uh, they were clear 
that Dad wasn't a Christian, but he was a very moral man. And they sought to convince me he was right with God. Little did they know that in the days before his death, I'd gone and explained the gospel to the guy. He'd received it and asked me to preach on it at his funeral. So it was a good lead-in for a preacher for a room full of people who don't know Jesus. Thirdly, God-fearers look for eternal assurance and um, and want to know that You know, at the very least, whatever's out there, I want to know I'm living the kind of life that will be rewarded. And fourthly, God-fearers are often characterised by prayer and good works. Again, on the stats on Friday night, it was revealed about 35% of Australians still pray quite regularly. And behind all of this, many are genuinely seeking God. As we saw last week, enter our capital E evangelists to take their God-given opportunities to proclaim the gospel as I did at this gentleman's funeral. But just as importantly, to have everyday Christians ready to speak and take the most of every opportunity to speak of the hope they have in Jesus. There's lots of examples of Peter and the Apostle Paul sharing the gospel message in Acts. All have something to teach us. Some are quite brief, others more expansive. All, of course, are faithful to the message. Peter's message at Cornelius' home probably ranks on one of the more comprehensive uh, ones. And Peter, as Peter proclaims the gospel, he preaches pretty much only for 60 seconds and they're converted from being God-fearers to Christians. The sermon uh, is recorded for us in verses 34 to 43 and Peter kind of has a luxury that we don't have that his audience was familiar with all the recent happenings in Israel regarding Jesus' life and death. You'll note if you have a chance to read through it and a great thing to read through again before bed tonight as the first half of his sermon he sort of says you know this about Jesus and you know this has happened. So I thought it's a little hard to kind of translate for us today, given the opportunity to share the gospel. But if our first task is to kind of know who the gospel is for, all people everywhere who don't know Jesus, our second task is to faithfully proclaim the gospel when given the opportunity. But Peter, one of the more expansive ones, so I'll, I'll put it in how I would say it if I was given to explain the gospel in 60 seconds, trying to hit all the same points that Jesus does in a modern way. So I was invited to a room, no one knew anything about Jesus, you got 60 seconds, Matt, to share the gospel. I would sort of say to people, you know the name of Jesus and that he's undisputedly one of the most influential people in human history. The Bible claims that he wasn't just a great teacher, but that he was Lord of all the earth and he brought great news to all people that we can have peace with God. The Bible claims that as a young man of 33, he was baptised by a bloke named John, who had been preparing the people's hearts to turn to God and readying them to hear a message of forgiveness. For three years, this Jesus went around doing all kinds of good and displaying his power, healing the sick, bringing dead people back to life and releasing people from the power of evil because God was with him. Reliable witnesses saw everything he did and recorded the most important of these things for us. But the religious people of the day hated Jesus because they were jealous of the huge crowds that followed him and his claims that he was more than a man 
but that he was God himself come to save us. So they killed him by having him nailed to a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day, and he was seen by hundreds of people, and before large and small groups alike. He ate and drank with people after he rose from the dead and before he ascended to heaven. And he commanded his followers and all generations after him, myself included, to preach and to testify that Jesus is the one who God has appointed as judge of living in the dead. In fact, this was prophesied about in the Old Testament hundreds of years before Jesus was born, that he would come and that everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins through his name and through his name alone. Now, I probably took a bit more than 60 seconds there, a bit more like I didn't take a little bit longer than Colin gives me each week to preach as well. But Peter got no further before the Holy Spirit came on all who heard it. All of these God-fearers, the first non-Jews to become Christians, the first of billions between then and now who would follow. Now, like the Apostle as in Acts, we don't always get all of that out in any and every situation. But for us, that little sort of encapsulation is the good news message that we have been given by God to proclaim together as a church. To be faithful messengers of the gospel together, we need to know who needs to hear the message and clear on what the message is. We'll try to draw this all together next week, but I'm trying to build a bit of a picture over these three weeks. We'll see if we get there. First, helping us to see, see and feel the need of the 1.2 million people in our city that we looked at last week who don't know Jesus, that we'd be a church praying for our gifted by God evangelist to be provided with open doors for the message, and that we'd have a whole army of Christians ready to share the hope they have in Jesus, given the opportunities that come. That together we'd be clear on who needs to hear the message of the gospel, both the good guys that we love and admire and the bad guys of our world, and that we'd be clear on the message of the gospel. Next week I want us to see how God entrusts the gospel message and the mission field to the local church and how all of local church life is to be shaped by the mission that we've been given by Jesus. But to close today, I wanted to have one more go at helping us all to feel the gospel need as we look out this week on all the people in our workplaces, our families, our friends, our school communities. To feel the gospel need as we look across the street, as we look out across the footy club, celebrating in the club rooms after a win next Saturday. One of the ways I've been doing that lately is to spend some time thinking about what the world without Jesus is offering these people that I know and love. The people that I love and admire and are a really important part of my life. And I'd have to say, I found it a really helpful exercise in recent months because you come to the conclusion fairly quickly that in comparison to what God offers all people everywhere, what our world offers is pretty lame. 
Take our world's worship of money, for example. And when I say worship it, it's where people look for security to give us freedom and hope in better times. Hasn't everyone just lost it a little bit with a bit of a bump in the economy at the moment? If you think money is where life's at, you'll never have enough. You'll never feel settled. You'll always be waiting for interest rates to go down or the promotion at job or wages to go up. You'll never feel quite safe if your trust is in money. Before I became a pastor, I worked in corporate banking and at a dinner in Port Lincoln one night with our customers, it struck me that around the table of eight, we were worth together over a billion dollars. Now, one guy was worth 700 million, so that gets you off to a pretty good start. And for the record, I didn't and still don't bring much to that tally. But I was sitting there thinking, I know the guy worth 100 million is totally jealous of the guy worth 700 million, and the guy worth 20 million feels inferior to the 100 million guy. But as I sat there, it dawned across me at the end of dinner, I sort of thought, I know all these people, I'm their banker. I see their finances. I see what's going on in their life. I am absolutely confident I am the happiest person sitting at this table. Pretty much all of them despaired of the behaviour of their kids who, like kids who grow up in extreme wealth, wasn't good. I know how much the heart of the guy ached at the table for the grandson He'd recently lost to cancer. He had the money at his disposal to fly him all around the world for the most cutting-edge experimental treatments, which in the end, sadly, didn't save him. So all he could do is name his latest boat after him to remember him. Now, it was a nice boat. $2 million buys you something pretty sweet. (laughs) But that's so lame compared to what Jesus offers For the grandson, he could have had eternal life. And for the grandfather, he could have had the eternal assurance that his grandson was safe in Jesus' arms. I could apply this everywhere, but I thought I'd just do one more for the benefit of our youth today. Because take what teenagers are told today about what the world offers them. And I've been particularly thinking about this, having two young girls. Take what the world is selling them at the moment. It tells them constantly through social media to find fulfilment by worshipping their bodies, their beauty, their sexual attractiveness, which usually attracts just the wrong type of guy and in reality leaves most feeling ugly or never beautiful enough. Then, time and the ageing process will rob you of what you do have and you'll die a death of a thousand cuts before the end. How lame compared to knowing that each and every one of those teenagers is of enduring worth to God, a God who loves you. who will renew your ageing body and all of us and make it fit for eternity one day. And between this day and that great day, we'll adorn you with the beauty of good works.
and godly character and give you treasure that will never spoil or fade. When you're honest about it and just chip away for a second like I have at what the world offers us as the path to the good life just a little, you can see in just a moment how lame it is. And I hope that by pointing that out, it may be somewhat of a turning point in your heart to help us recover the confidence together that the news we have to share about Jesus is good news of enduring and eternal value. It's the most precious thing to the world, in the world. And what the world offers is so completely lame in comparison. To recover our confidence, to share the gospel as good news in such times. As you consider the people that you know and love, the grandkids that you know that don't know Jesus, your friends at school, neighbours or at the footy, ponder this week just how lame what the world offers them is. And then I'd love you to pray this week for them that God in his kindness would provide for them what he did for Cornelius and his household. Even for the good guys, the community champions, the people that you admire, that you love, who do so many good works. Pray knowing that God is not going to somehow kind of just translate those good works into him being, them being right with him. But pray that God might show his incredible kindness and instead, just like he did to Cornelius, sending a faithful messenger of the gospel of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, to bring the words of eternal life. We'll conclude next week, but for now I'll close in prayer. Will you join me? Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today asking that by the power of your Spirit you'd lift our hearts to see that what you offer through your Son Jesus Christ to us is the most precious treasure that we could ever be offered and that it's given to us freely and to all who would come to you. Salvation, purpose, an eternal place in your family uh, in a time free from this world's... uh, passing illusions, its joys and its fears and its tragedies. We thank you that you offer all people a place with you forever. Please help us, Lord, as we look out to the people in our communities that we love, uh, who might be the Corneliuses of our life, people who, um, like so many Australians, do believe that you are there and do seek to do good and to live the good life, and do care for others, please help us to see their spiritual need just as strongly as those that we can look at and sadly see their lives are a mess. Please help us to know that this message of the gospel is for all people everywhere who do not know you through your appointed means, through your Son. And then help us as we move to next week that we might be a church family together that's clear on this gospel message and together faithfully proclaiming it uh, as we participate uh, in the greatest, most significant thing that you are doing in this world today as your gospel spreads about your son Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.